Amen. And amen. Uh, as we, we've noticed over the last several weeks, I believe this is uh, our fourth uh, sermon, fourth message out of this series. And we've been taking as our original text verse, we've been uh, really throughout this series, we've been in multitudes of places in the scripture, but we begin here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and verse number 9, where the Bible here is talking about the grace of God. And uh, in particular, talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul as he wrote to the church at Corinth, is using uh, this, uh, this verse number 9 as an illustration. He is explaining to them the need uh, for being involved in what he calls the grace of giving. Uh, you, you wouldn't think that a preacher would use the uh, grace of God through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ to encourage a congregation to give uh, of their finances, but that's what Paul does here. Uh, I've mentioned in several messages already that the, the Apostle Paul was not above using a glorified guilt trip, trip if he needed to. Amen. Uh, to get us to think about uh, the condition in which we are and the condition in which we live and how at times we are so very stingy. Amen. Uh, we are so very self-absorbed and self-concerned uh, so many times. And so essentially what he says here in chapter number 8 uh, in summary, he is saying that there are poor saints in Jerusalem that the churches of Macedonia have already given to. He's given, they have given to those needy churches out of deep poverty. They didn't even have it to give. They gave above their power, Paul said, to be a blessing to uh, this needy church. And he's talking to this church at Corinth who is wealthy and has great by, uh, great measures of physical means and they wouldn't have to do it as the Macedonians did beyond their power. They could be a blessing of their power. And Paul uses the example of the grace of God to stir in their heart a grace for giving. If we are to be stirred by anything in life, to do anything spiritual, whether it be passing out a track, whether it be telling somebody about Jesus, whether it be putting a little extra dollar or two in the offering plate, whether it be a blessing, be, being a blessing to another church or another congregation or whatever the case may be, the one thing that should stir us more than anything is realizing that there is nothing above uh, what we should be willing to give and willing to do uh, for someone else because Jesus did not have such exceptions on him. Amen. He was willing to give his life. He gave it all for the entire world. You and I should take his example and be willing to do what we can which, des uh, which desperately falls short of the example that Christ left us in giving his life. And so he gives the example of the grace of our Lord Jesus who though he was rich in heaven, though he was the Son of God at the right hand of God, though he left all of the riches and the splendor that he had in heaven, chose to become poor physically so that you and I uh, who are poor spiritually could be made right with God and enjoy spiritual riches. Amen. That's what Jesus did for us. Paul here teaches about the grace of God and how it is through the grace of God that you and I enjoy spiritual riches and enjoy riches because of the grace of God. So we've spent the last few Sunday mornings just talking about a few things that I've noticed in the Scriptures as I studied the word grace that God says are brought into the life of the child of God by the grace of God. We've seen several already and we'll pick up with our thought for this morning. Number one, 
We saw that we got our forgiveness on grace. Amen. By the uh, grace of God, we have been forgiven of sin. Number two, we got our Father on grace. Put in the family of God. Been made sons of God by the grace of God. So we have a heavenly Father because of the grace of God. Number three, we got our family on grace. Amen. I've already talked about under the Father, we talked about our spiritual family. How we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And what a grace that is from God. God giving us what we do not deserve by giving us the family of God. Giving us our Father. Giving us our forgiveness. But too many times we don't think about our physical family as something God has put into our life that we don't deserve. Amen. Brother Lewis quoted the verse I preached on a couple of Sundays ago in Sunday school about how we are called to be with our, with our, with our spouses, heirs together of the grace of life. So we notice that. At number four, we saw that we got our friends on grace. Titus chapter 3. Verse number 15, uh, Paul greeted uh, those that loved him in the faith. Amen. Number five, we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8, that we have our finances on grace. I don't deserve to have a dime in my pocket. I deserve hell, but God gave me what he's given me in my life on the grace of God. Last week, and we spent all Sunday morning on this one thought that we've got our future on grace. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 through 7 talks about what you and I have by the grace of God that we can expect in the ages to come. Amen. So we as the children of God have a future. Amen. I want you to go with me this morning to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. And I want to say something about that. We, not only do we have those things by the grace of God, but I want to say this. I've got and you have as a child of God your freedom on grace. And uh, I want us to notice a couple of things about us having our freedom by the grace of God this morning. Amen. And Romans chapter number 6 will speak about this here in a moment. But uh, as you're turning, I'll say this. When I hear the word freedom, and when we speak about the word freedom, a lot of times our, our, our hearts are filled with feelings and emotions of patriotism and nationalism, amen, and just a love of God and country, amen, and just uh, what freedom means as an American. Well, I do believe our freedom as Americans is by the grace of God. Amen. Uh, you can't, I, I cannot look at what we have based upon what others in the world have and not say that God has not truly greatly graced my life and privileged my life by allowing me to be born in this nation. Uh, not only for the freedoms and the capitalism and the things that we enjoy uh, as Americans, but uh, this country for hundreds of years has been the number one gospel sending station around the world. America has been for the last 200 years the home of missionaries. Um, and now we're entering into a time where other countries, sadly to say, other countries are sending their missionaries to the United States of America because we've gotten so far from God. But for the last 200 years, if you met a missionary, the missionary was most likely from the United States of America where God put the gospel here and gave us Bible preaching churches and called by His grace people to go and tell others around the world about the grace of God that is enough to save the entire world. Amen. Amen. And so I thank God for this nation. It has been a propagator of the gospel. It's been a big sister to the nation of Israel. Always on her side. Always trusting her. Following the precepts of the word of God in that way. But as much as I'm thankful for national freedom, as much as I'm thankful for political freedom this morning, uh, that's not the freedom that I, that I feel like is the most important freedom 
that you and I have. Romans 6 is a little bit, if you read this chapter, it is a little bit of difficult reading uh, for most. There's things talked about as we read this chapter and the way that things are phrased that may make it at times difficult to understand. But if God, through the Spirit of God, will give us an understanding of Romans chapter number 6, we'll understand there is a great freedom being mentioned here in these verses. God even uses the word free and freed in this chapter to tell us about the freedom that we have by the grace of God. Amen. And by the way, let me say this. Uh, if you want something, if you want a passage of Scripture uh, to where you can just research and dig in and study and try to understand uh, a, a portion of Scripture that will vitally change your life for God, you go and study Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and Romans chapter number 8. If you can get even a thimbleful of a grasp of what God gave the Apostle Paul to teach the, teach the Romans about in Romans 6, 7, and 8, I promise you it will radically change your Christian life. Amen. And one of the reasons why it will is because it tells us about the freedom that we have in Christ. Now let me say this before we look at Romans chapter number 6. This freedom that he's talking about is not a freedom to sin. Right. Amen. It is not turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. It's not turning grace and the freedom that comes by grace into a license and an excuse to live in unadulterated sin. Amen. Paul begins in verse number 1 to squash that completely. He says in verse number 1 of Romans chapter number 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If you study these verses, this entire, this entire chapter is wrapped up in two specific questions. He says in verse uh, number 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we continue sinning if, if, our, if, if grace gives us freedom from sin? Uh, should we not just continue sinning so that grace will increase in our life? You have to have a, per, a perverted mind towards Scripture to believe that. Amen. You know, what they, you know what these folks are saying that Paul's dealing with? You know what Paul's trying to counteract? Those that say, because I have grace, I should continue sinning and living in sin and more open sin uh, and, and just put all the sin in my life that I can so that God can show His grace in a mighty way. Amen, friend. If, that, if, if that's your mind, I would make my calling an election sure. Amen. Christians don't think like that. And the second question that this chapter is summed up by is in verse number 15 when he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And Paul said, God forbid. So in verse number 1, I'm just giving you a little bit of background before we look at the verse I'm interested in. In verse number 1, Paul is asking this question. He said, Should we continue on sinning that grace may abound? And then the second question he says, Well, since we're not under the law and we're under grace, uh, does that mean we can sin more because we're under grace and we're not under the law anymore? It's two different ways of asking the same question, trying to make an excuse for sinful living and put it at the feet of God and put it at the blame of God and saying, God, you gave us that grace that allows us to sin more. You can't judge us for the sin that we're committing. Amen. If you try to lay the blame of your sin at the feet of God, you've got deeper spiritual issues than we can even deal with in one service. Amen. Don't blame God for your sinfulness. Blame yourself. Yeah, 
Blame your flesh. Amen. I'm amazed as I study the Bible and as I even study people as I've ministered to and counseled with over the years, it's amazing how uh, we do, most of the time we try to put the blame off on somebody else. I sin because of this. I sin because of that. Uh, and we don't put the blame on ourselves. And I'm amazed at how much the devil gets away with the sin and the, the way that he is, the temptations that he brings. We want to put the blame at God's feet before we ever want to put the blame at, our, at the feet of ourselves or at the feet of Satan. Amen. I'm telling you, we ought not to be that way. Amen. The Bible does say we have freedom. But it is not a freedom to sin. Rather, it is a freedom from sin. Amen. Now let me say this. You say, preacher, all you're preaching sinless perfection. No, I'm not. Amen. I've told you before, and I, I believe I mentioned it last, like this past Wednesday night. Uh, we are saved, and we will never, as Christians and believers, born again, children of God, when we're saved, we will never be, as long as we're in this body of flesh, we'll never be sinless, but we ought to sin less. The power, oh, this freedom from sin that's going to be mentioned of is a power over the bondage of sin in our life. Before you were saved, you had no choice in your own uh, makeup but to sin. There was no spiritual inclination in you at all before salvation. The Bible says that we are dead in sins. We uh, are sold under sin. Uh, when you're sold under something, you don't make any decisions. Whoever is your master makes the decisions for you. Amen. If you are dead, you are unresponsive. Take it from someone who has worked for many years in the funeral business. You can do it, and I'm not. Uh, that's one thing we would never tell anybody to do in the funeral business. You work in the business that I've worked in. You have a great respect for the dead. Right. Amen. Because you realize that's somebody's mama, that's somebody's daddy, that's somebody's child. Right. Amen. Right. And uh, we were always taught by the folks that I, the, the folks that I worked for, uh, they even had it, they even had it pl pl plastered anywhere that employees would be that we were to treat the dead when we worked with them as we would if the family was standing right next to us. So take it from someone uh, who had who, who's worked with them. Uh, but one thing about one thing about a dead person, if you were to bring somebody in, we were to have a funeral up in front of this church. You could do whatever whatever kind of external stimuli you wanted to put on that body. Uh, they would not respond. You can shake them all you want, but if they're gone, they're gone. The Spirit is gone. That which gives them, uh, give, gives them consciousness to the world around them is gone. That which for the believer gives us consciousness to God is already with the Lord. That body is just a shell of what used to be. The house that the person used to live in. The body, soul, and spirit, the body's left behind, but the spirit and soul is somewhere else is going to be with the Lord or go out into eternity. Amen. If you are dead in sins, you have no, you have no uh, reaction to that which is spiritual. Here in this passage, the believer is told that you and I are to be something different. We're not dead in sins. But this says we are dead. The Bible talks about that we are dead in the terms of being separated from the power of sin. Read it with me. Verse number one again. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we, notice this, how shall we, not dead in sins, but he says that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Here's what Paul is saying to this, this congregation. 
he is addressing those that want to use the grace of God as an excuse to sin more. Paul is teaching here that it is against the character of a Christian to make such claims and to try to find a way to sin more. When you are saved by the grace of God, the Holy Ghost comes and lives within and the Spirit of God does not bring you to sin, but it points you to truth and it points you to holiness. It points you to righteousness. The Bible says Jesus said that when the Holy Ghost comes, He would convict the world of sin and of righteousness. He will convict you of your sin and convince you that righteousness and walking and living righteously is the way to live. Amen. That's what the Spirit of God does. If you are with all of your being trying to find a way to sin more, chances are you don't have that Spirit of God in you pointing you to righteousness and the holiness and the things of God. Here's what he's saying. He said we are dead to sin when the Spirit of God comes within. It's not to say that you and I do not notice the sinful behavior. It doesn't even mean that we won't be tempted. But what it does mean is, is we are no longer bound, hook, line, and sinker under the power of sin. There is now a choice. The Spirit of God lets you know that lets you know that, that activity, that is sinful. I've been amazed how outside of just the realm of our education and our teaching and how, how our parents have ingrained us, how many things that there are in the Bible that people in the world around us just do not realize is sin. Me and Brother Lewis were talking the other day about some folks that we witnessed to that just had a foul mouth. And you had to put, you had to hold them up and say, you had to say, hey, you need to, you need to cut out all that cussing. And their response to us is, what cussing? That's right. Unless they had someone around them telling them this is wrong and that's wrong, and they memorized a list of rules for the most part, there's things that you and I know according to that Bible is sin that may slip by them. Because even, even as God has written the law of God on the hearts of every man, every man, woman, boy, or girl, as the book of Romans teaches us, there is a time to where you can sin against your own conscience enough to where it deadens and dulls that conscience to where you're not even paying attention to what you know in your heart is right and wrong anymore. You and I, as, see, the, those people... They, they, they memorized that list of rules that they were taught that, that from their parents or whoever. That gives them a sense of morality. And then at times there is a, the, 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 the conscience will flare up and they will, uh, and they will come to themselves and say, well, this is probably not right. Or they will accept societal norms and let that define for them what's right and wrong. That's why there's things in that King James Bible that you and I will look at and we will say, how in the world can people live this way? It's right there in black and white. It's wrong. It's against God. That's right. It's because the societal norms of the world around us have shaped what people understand is right and wrong. I didn't come this morning to get political, but that's one of the reasons why Nancy Pelosi can stand where she stands and say we're doing the work of God. While she has that direct quote, she has said that on national TV. We Democrats are doing the work of God while they promote killing millions of babies. While while they are while they want to redefine what the Bible says is a biblical marriage. That's right. Yeah. We're doing the work of God. 
you and I would listen to that statement and say, that is nothing short of blasphemous. That's right. right. That's right. To say that you're doing the work of God. Nope. Nope. You know why? You know why people take that and say, oh, they're doing this and they're wanting to put more money in my pocket and they're wanting to do all of these things that they say is good for us, the, 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 the poor people is what they my my, my family. Uh, not this family. That's my, that's my wife's side of the family, which is now my family. But my, 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 my biological side of the family, I had people on my side of the family who could, would have voted for Barack Obama a hundred times if they could have. They literally think when she said we're doing the work of God, that is the reality. Because the world around us has said that is that is a good work. That is a righteous work to want to put more money, they say, into people's pockets and want to pull them out of poverty and all of the things that they say. But the difference is it is not the world around us that establishes what the truth is. The truth has not changed. I understand my generation may be, uh, may be a generation behind some of yours. My generation may be a generation ahead of some folks in this room. But I'll say this, whether it is my generation, whether it's the generation of the oldest person in this building this morning, or the smallest child, what is true has never changed. Amen. 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 The psalmist said, the word of the Lord is forever said in heaven. Amen. There's no change in it. You can change the law of the land. You can even amend the Constitution of the United States. You can do whatever you want to do. But when it comes to what's right, and when it comes to what's holy, and when it comes to what pleases and honors the Lord, that has not changed, and it never will change. That's right. Amen. If you could somehow make your way up into the third heaven and try to find wherever they've got that blessed Bible up in heaven, amen, you wanted to try to erase something, you wanted to try to change it, you couldn't change it. That's right. You wouldn't even know where the pen was. You know why? God wrote the book. We can't change it. Only He could change it. And God didn't make a mistake the first time. We wouldn't have to change it. It's forever settled in heaven. Amen. So the, 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 the society around us wants to get the mind of those who don't know the truth and tell you what their truth is. You, you've heard that uh, probably on the news a lot. You've heard it and probably read it in papers or books or online or on social media. People want to talk about now their truth. That phrase has always baffled me because the truth does not belong to a particular person or an individual. Yet the, the truth, what is true, is not my truth, and then you have your own version of truth. Right. It's not the way it works. Right. There is the truth, or it's a lie. Right. If it is not the truth, it is a lie. Right. Amen. So they want to redefine what's right and wrong. You and I, as born-again believers, we know the truth, and the Bible says that you and I, who once were dead in sins, are now dead to sins. We don't have, we're not under the bondage of sin anymore. Yes, you still will sin. Yes, there will be temptation. Yes, you still will fall. But the, at times, but the power of sin no longer has to grip your life. Amen. Here's the problem, though, that makes people misunderstand these verses. So many born-again believers are still living bound, bound up and in bondage to sin. Can I tell you that this chapter that we're looking at this morning tells every person in this building how you can enjoy freedom from sin 
that you got by the grace of God. I had a couple other things I want to mention, but I feel like this is very important this morning. Go ahead. Amen. Let me ask you this, and I'm not looking for a raise of hands this morning, but is there anybody in church this morning to where you can say maybe even in the past week that you have felt bound by your own sinful tendencies? Bound in your own sin. Hebrews talks about a sin that does so easily beset us. There's a whole lot of you this, this morning that probably got beset time and time and time again by that sin that so easily besets you. You may not have your own truth, but you do have your own besetting sin. It may not be the same as mine. It may not be the same as another brother or sister sitting next to you on the, on the seat, but every one of you knows what that is. That's why I don't have to spend a whole lot of time preaching that verse and what that means. I don't have to preach on what a besetting sin is. Everybody in here, as soon as you say that statement, you go to what yours is. Right, right, you're right. Amen. Yeah. Can I tell you how the Bible says you and I can get freedom from that? This Romans chapter number 6 is centered around three words that you find mentioned over and over again in the text. As we, as we look at this this morning, I, I want to I mention something about this. Uh, first of all, let me say this. <clears throat> look at verse number 1 with me. Verse number 1, we'll find uh, a use of one of these words in verse number 3. But, but the truth of Romans chapter number 6 is open up to us. Uh, and, and to be opened up to us, we must consider that this chapter is, is a door that opens us up to the truth that is on three hinges in this text. Number one, look at verse number one. The Bible says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul said, God forbid. Very strongly says that. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Notice that. How shall we that are dead to sin you may not even understand. I've preached, I've preached as much as I uh, can in the time that I have this morning uh, for that particular phrase that are dead to sin, what it means to be dead to sin in this passage. And you may say, preacher, I just don't, I just don't understand how in my life I'm dead to sin. But you don't have to understand it. God declared that you are. Amen. If you're saved by the grace of God, God declared you are dead to your sin. Notice what he goes on to say. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He says it is, it, is, it is unfathomable to the Apostle Paul that someone dead to sin could be living in sin. And this is, the same, this is the same man that in just one chapter is going to talk to you about the problem that he had with his own sinful nature. You read Romans chapter number 7, one of the most encouraging chapters in all the Bible because it tells me the Apostle Paul dealt with his flesh too. He said, the things I want to do, I don't find myself doing. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. Amen. It's good to know Paul dealt with the same thing we're dealing with too. He was human. Amen. We don't need to make a God out of Apostle Paul. He was human too. Look at verse 3. Here's the first word I want you to see. No. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Salvation is what he's talking about, about being baptized into Christ. It is a spiritual baptism. It is not a water baptism. It is being brought into, plunged into, immersed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we talked about when we got saved, we're put in the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. When God sees me, He sees Jesus. It is a positional truth. We were baptized into Him. It also carries the idea of being identified with Him. Because I got saved, I'm now a Christian. 
You can't even call me what I am without identifying me with my Lord and Savior. That's right. Christian. Amen. No, you not. That so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, all of those that are saved were baptized into His death. When you baptize someone, water baptism in the front of the church, you put them underneath the water. It shows that we have been buried with Christ spiritually and then that we have been raised to walk in newness of life. When you got saved, all that we was sinful in you was placed on the cross and was buried with Jesus and it died with Jesus. And when you got saved, a spiritual resurrection took place so that you could have the ability to walk in newness of life. Jesus, when He died, died in the flesh, but rose again. When Jesus died, He bore my sins. But now that He has risen from the dead, He's already dealt with my sins, and He is no longer carrying my sin with Him. It was dealt with on Calvary. Amen. Removed as far as the east is from the west. Amen. He died and rose again with new life in His physical body. That's what happened to me spiritually. When I got saved, my sins died with Jesus. My sins were dealt with on the cross. But God raised me spiritually from the dead so that I could have the ability to walk in newness of life. But Lewis, if, I, if, if Jesus wouldn't have saved me, I couldn't live a Christian life. You know what? I wouldn't have been raised to walk in the newness of life. I would still be living the old life. I'd still be living a sinful life. Bound, under, sin, dead, uh, dead, in, sins. But that resurrection allows us to be dead to sins. What does that mean? That dead to sins means that you're not under the bondage of sin anymore and now you have the ability to live a new life. You can live the Christian life. You may say, preacher, I don't, I don't know if I can. You read that Bible, God says you can. Right. If, God says, if God says anything, says you can do anything, guess what? You can do it. That's right. Amen. I don't live my life on what I say. I don't live my life on what I think. I live, I live my life on what God has already determined about me, what He said about me. If He says I can do it, I can do it. I may not understand it, but I know it's true if God said it. Amen. Amen. It's one of the reasons why I'm thankful for my Bible. Amen. It's one of the reasons why we can't afford not to read our Bibles. Amen. I've got to find out what God said about me so I can know how I can live in newness of life. He talks about no. There's some things in this passage that he says we can know. God wants to turn the light on to some areas in our life that we need to know some things about. Can I say this this morning? Satan wants to keep us in the dark. He wants to keep us in the dark when it comes to what, uh, <clears throat> what God has declared about us, what the Bible says about us. And God of His Word is always faithful to point us to the light of truth when the devil wants us to remain in darkness. These verses deal with, deal with our identification with Christ, our position in Christ. These are truths that we don't have to understand, but we must realize that God is declaring them to be the true state of affairs when it comes to our spiritual condition. Verse 3, he says, No, you not. Notice that phrase, No, you not. It says so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. Then like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. When you bury your loved one. You take them out in the cemetery. You lay them beneath the. Uh, you lay them beneath the sod. You know what you're doing for for a child of God, especially. You know what you're doing. You're not burying anything. You're planting them. The Bible says there's a resurrection day coming. 
The Bible said there's a day when those people that are saved by the grace of God that we put in the ground over there in those cemeteries, they're all going to be, they're all going to spring up one day. Those cemeteries for the Christian, that's not a burial plot. That's resurrection ground for him. Amen. Amen. You're planting them, what verse 5 says. It's talking about planting. We were just like you plant a body in the ground in a cemetery. The Bible says when we got saved, we were planted in Christ. You plant something so you can get something back. You, you, you plant a seed that's dead so that God can put life in and life can spring forth from what used to be dead. Amen. Look at verse 6. uses the word again. He says, no, you not. Verse 3, he says, knowing this, verse 6, that an old man is crucified with him. So you need to know, uh, you need to know that you were baptized with Jesus into his death when you got saved. You were identified with him. You were consumed in him. You were immersed in him. When you got saved, you died when Jesus died. You rose when Jesus arose. Not physically, but spiritually. <coughs> Look at verse 6. He tells us that we are to know that our old man, that old life, that old fleshly man that is, that is dead in trespasses and sins was crucified with him. He is crucified with him. That the body, notice this, that the body of sin, the physical instrument that you use to sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Here's the idea. You're not, as a Christian, you're not to serve your sin anymore. You don't have to. What you need to know is that you can serve the Savior. You don't have to serve sin. Look at verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. I read a, I was reading a commentator yesterday that gave the example. He said, if you're an alcoholic or a drunk, if you are someone bound by vice such as that, and you die, guess what? You're no longer bound by your vice anymore. You can put as many gallons of alcohol in front of an old drunk that has already passed away as you want to. You know what he will not do? He will not reach out for another, another bottle. He may have died that way, grasping the bottle, following the bottle, living in the sin of alcoholism and drunkenness. He may have died that way, but once he's gone, that body is no longer responding to the stimuli of that which had gripped him. You know, that's what the Bible says when we get saved. That's the way we have the ability to have, to have sin work in our life. That sin that once gripped us that we couldn't say no to, that we lived in it and we loved it and we gave ourselves to it. As a Christian, you can be dead to it. You don't have to say yes to it anymore. There is a freedom that has taken place by the grace of God. The grace of God brought freedom. So he gives this example. He says you should know this. You should look at verse 9. That you should know that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. And death here, he's talking about death and how it brings sin. He's using it to talk about sin. Verse 10. For in that he died. He died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Jesus, when He, when he died, he, he died as the substitute for sin one time. He doesn't have to do it. So therefore, you and I, once we are saved, that let death only happens one time. You may have to get victory over some sin, but you'll never have to die to sin again. That took place today. You got saved. Do you see? And I hope, I'm trying to make this as plain as possible. Remember, I said this can be some difficult reading. 
But do you see how if we truly understand and understood what Paul's teaching here, that it could just be absolutely life-changing, changing our walk with God and our Christian walk with Him and our whole spiritual experience? If we get Romans 6, 7, and 8, and if you don't get any other passage of Scripture in the Bible, if you don't get any of those things in your practice, you make sure you understand what Jesus says about you in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, and you make sure you start living in them, guess what you'll have? You'll have freedom. The first word is the word no. God says there's some things that I want the children of God to know and God makes that those sentences Himself. This is what God declares about the spiritual condition of a saved person. Here's the second word. I'm going to hurry with these last two. Here's the second one. The first word that consumes this chapter is the word no. The second word that consumes this chapter is the word reckon. Notice what He says verse in verse number 11. He says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice this verse, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse 13. Neither yield your uh, members as instruments of unrighteousness unto uh, sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Anybody want to guess what the third word is? word yield. First word is no. Second word is reckon. Third word is yield. If you'll understand those three things and put them into practice, you'll have spiritual freedom by the grace of God. Notice the word reckon. I wrote this in my notes just to remind myself to say it. I don't think I have to define the word reckon to anybody that lives below the Mason-Dixon line. I don't know about you, but I was raised hearing the word reckon pretty often in my home. You, t you ask one of your grandparents, well, that gr your grandpa, grandma, whatever, but what do you think? Uh, uh, is, 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 is this uh, the way that this way this needs to be? I reckon. Did you know that King James Bible is a southern book? Amen. I'm surprised the word Ewan's isn't in there. It must have not existed in English yet. It took one of us, it took, it took one of us to write that word. Amen. Get it in an urban dictionary or something. Amen. But for those of you that weren't raised the way I was raised, here's what the word reckon means. I was amazed by this. That southern word we use is actually a mathematical word. Here's what it means. Interesting. It means to count. It means to number. It means to tell all of the particulars. It means to esteem, to account, to compute, or to calculate. Now, you didn't know that you and I and all of us country folks that we were raised around were really that smart. When they said, I reckon, you know what they were saying? They said, I figured it all up. I've done all of the math. And that's the conclusion that I came to. Amen. Here's what he says. You remember? You see how, the, you see how this, this passage can come to life if you just understand what it's talking about? God said, here's something I want you to know. When you got saved, you were buried with Christ. When you were buried with Christ, your, the, the death that bound you in sin was buried with Him. You raised to walk in newness of life. You had the ability to live unto God. God says, I want you to know that. Now He says, reckon it to be true. Count up, add up everything. Add, add what I told you to know. And add what I told you you need to be knowing. You add these things together. Draw a line up underneath it. Calculate all of the sun. And then come to the conclusion that what God said is right. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Amen. That's the truth of it. Amen. Notice what he said for us to reckon. Reckon that ye also your or ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12 tells us if we do reckon that, if we do calculate that, if we do come to the conclusion that God is right and what He said about me is true, then He gives us verse number 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. You know why you have a problem with your sin? Number one is because you have not taken the time to know what God told you you need to know that He said about you. Number two, you have not taken the time to do the math, to calculate it, to compute that what God says is true about you. Here's what we say all the time. I can't do that. I'm too sinful. I'm too wicked. Yes, but if Jesus saved you, He's given you the power to do it. And He has declared that you are dead in Christ. That you are unresponsive. Here's the problem. Too many of us don't get on the same page with God about our sin. Amen. If God says you can't have victory, you can't have victory, stop psyching yourself out about it. Stop confusing yourself about what you can have in Christ. The Bible did not say arbitrarily that when we got saved, Jesus gave us all spiritual riches in Christ Jesus. Do you think that Jesus would save you from your sins for you to live a whole life without victory over your sins? You remember what Jesus said in His earthly ministry? He said, I am come that they might have life. And Brother Brandon, you know your Bible pretty good. Did He stop there? If all He died, if all He died for was to save me, Jesus would have said, I am come that they might have life. They might have spiritual life. But that's not where He stopped. He said, and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. Amen. You know why too many of us don't have spiritual freedom? Why we're not enjoying the abundant Christian life that God has for us? We have not chose to know what God says we need to know because a lot of times we spend our life separated from this book, separated from Him in prayer. How can you know what God said about you if you won't read what God said about everything you need to know? Don't be surprised if you live in sin and you live, you live an ungodly life and you say, Preacher, I just can't get victory over this. My first question to you will be, how much time have you spent in your Bible this week? Amen. You need to know what God said about you. And then you need to decide what God said is true. You, when God says you're dead to sin, He said right there in verse 12, reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God so that you will obey sin and lust thereof. Amen. He goes on to say, verse 13, neither yield ye your members as an instrument of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Here's what He said. Stop doing the things that cause you to be bound by your sin. If you in Christ have been made dead to sin, the reason why you're in bondage is because of your own choices. If it's the TV that causes you problems, cut it off or throw it in the yard. Amen. If it's what you read or what you look at, get rid of it. If it's the people that you hang around with, get rid of them. You have a choice. Before, you didn't even understand there was a choice to be made. But in Christ, through the Spirit of God, now you have a choice and you can make the right decision. You've just got to reckon what God said to be true. And then here's the third word, yield. God has told you what the truth is. He's told you who you are in Him. He expects you to believe Him. Amen. By the way, why would we disbelieve the God of heaven when He tells us something about ourselves? That's right. Did not Psalm 103 tell us 
That He remembers our frame. That He knows that we are but dust. You know how God knows you and I are dust? It's because He was there when He gathered up the dust of the earth. Not even dust that, or not, excuse me, not even dirt that you can build something with or make something with or grow something with. Something you can't do any, you can't do anything with dust. God said that's what He gathered up. Amen. You try to gather up the dust sometime. Amen. You can't even get it all in a dustpan. God did it with His hand. He gathered up the dust and He formed it and He made, He breathed into us the breath of life. He was there the day you were created. Don't you think that He knows everything there is to know about you? God knows more about you than you know about you. He knows more than your, your spouse knows about you. knows more than your children know about you. Amen. God knows everything about all of us. And if you're saved by the grace of God, He's trying to let us tap into something that we can't even physically understand about ourselves. He's trying to, in few words, give us a spiritual insight into what Jesus did for us when He saved us. I've told you before, and I make no hesitation to say it again, that I believe with all of my heart that when we get to heaven, we're going to find out. And I know this biblically. This is one of this is one of the passages that tells us this. But we got more than just a get out of hell free card when we got saved. That's right. Amen. Paul here says something else you got was freedom from sin. You don't have to be bound by it. You can choose victory. You can know what God said to know about you. You can reckon it. You can trust that God said it's true. Compute it to be such. And then yield your life to it. Make a decision. To break loose of those things that are binding you. If you're saved by the grace of God this morning, <coughs> and you're still bound in sin with no freedom over those sins, and you just come into church and you're defeated and you're discouraged, and you say, there, there's probably been some folks in here that said, I just uh, no, it's not that you didn't feel like coming to church because you didn't think that you'd be welcome here or whatever. You just didn't even feel worthy to walk in the door. You got the devil got you so low, your sin being bound under it got you so low, you just said, I might as well not even go. I'll mess everything up if I show up. Whatever the preacher preaches is going to fall flat. Whatever the singer sings is going to fall flat. The Spirit of God ain't going to move on the service because I'm going to be hindering it because I'm so low. You don't have to stay that way. I'm glad that 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen. I'm thankful for confession. I'm thankful for forgiveness. But I'm also thankful that Jesus Christ paid and bought for us victory upon Calvary. Amen. William, you mind if I borrow your Bible? Real quick, mine's up there. Can I show you one more verse before I'm done? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. If I've been quoted, I'm going to try not to mangle yours up the way I do mine. I'm going to hold his nice and neat. If I, if I have been known to probably make any quote to this congregation, it would probably be the one where I tell this church often, we are not fighting for, and that's not original with me, but we're not fighting for victory. That's what Romans 6 tells us. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Because victory was won at Calvary. We do have a battle. We're going to have to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we're not fighting for a victory. We're fighting from a victory. There are going to be battles in this world. But can I tell you this? The war has already been won. Amen. You read the back of the book sometimes. Can I give you the synopsis of the last chapter of your Bible? Jesus 
Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verse number 57. Same general concept Paul is teaching here to the church of Corinth as he concludes this letter to 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, his first epistle to the church of Corinth. He says in verse 57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're saved by the grace of God, Jesus has already, through His death, burial, and resurrection, bottled up all of the victory over sin you'll ever need. He's wrapped it up as a beautiful gift for you. And He has given it. He gave it to you the day you put your faith in Him and trusted Him as your Savior. He giveth us the victory. Only one victory you need. That's the victory that Jesus bought and paid for on Calvary. Yeah. Amen. You can have freedom by the grace of God. I didn't mention it this morning. We're preaching on things I got on grace. One of the things that you got on grace is freedom. Aren't you thankful for spiritual freedom today? Yeah. If you're not saved, you can get saved today and enjoy freedom from sin because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are saved, I hope somebody in here will worship God with me this week. Amen. About having the freedom.